My guest on this week's episode of Sezen Search is Zef Snap, CEO and founder at Altura Interactive. Zef is a veteran digital marketer and an in-demand conference presenter. A few places you might've heard him speak include MozCon, Content Marketing World, and PubCon. He's also an excellent writer. If you like this interview, check out Zef's column at Search Engine Journal. Altura offers a really interesting service. They provide Spanish digital marketing to international brands. Usually these brands are growing from the United States into Latin America and need digital marketing expertise along the way. I can tell you from experience that it's hard enough to know SEO in one language. Zef's agency has a bigger burden. They have to be good at SEO, which is interesting enough, but they also have to overcome communication challenges with stakeholders speaking different languages. They have to be mindful of a zillion little regional language nuances when creating and optimizing content. And there are SEO implications with each decision that they make. It's a fascinating topic and Zef is an entertaining and engaging guest to take us through it all. Grab something cold to drink and join me for a conversation with Zef Snap. We'll talk about how to avoid disaster when launching a website internationally. He'll explain the difference between translation and transcreation. And we'll spend a little time talking about MozCon shenanigans. All right, Zef Snap, welcome to Southern Search. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. You know, I was prepping for this interview and it seems like what's really interesting about you is that you have an SEO problem. Like you have to do keyword research and uh, link building and all the stuff that we have to do, but you also have this complicated business and interpersonal challenge. Like how do you communicate and get buy-in and get a project moving along when there are a lot of stakeholders who maybe speak different languages? The SEO part of this is interesting enough and I want to get to that, but I'm curious, you know, if you can give me some insight into how your projects work. So for starters, who are the brands you work with and who are the individual stakeholders at those businesses? Well, as you can imagine, a lot of our, uh, a lot of our clients are under NDA, so I'm not allowed to talk about a lot of the stuff that we're doing uh, currently. But I, but I can tell you about a lot of stuff we've done in the past. So some of the brands that we worked with before are companies like Allstate, T-Mobile, Shopify, uh, and a myriad of others, including uh, some of the major streaming platforms. So if you're thinking about like <clears throat> stakeholders, it's... Um, so usually the difficulty is not so much that we don't all speak the same language because usually English is the common characteristic. Okay. It's more that uh, we have to bridge the gap. Well, we have to bridge a gap culturally, right, from, mm -hmm. from uh, Latin America to the United States and vice versa, uh, but also an understanding of meaning and of context in another language. Uh, it's actually mm -hmm. been my experience that most marketing managers who we work with come in knowing how little they know. And as a result, it makes our job a lot easier because we, we basically get to guide them along. Now, some companies actually have uh, Spanish native people in these positions for marketing. And, and with them, it's actually even easier because we basically just you know, give direct access and, and move along. Well, interesting. And you know, I wonder if I'm, I'm gonna ask you one of those dreaded it depends questions here, but you know, one of the things that I, I thought of was like, it seems like businesses probably come to you at a specific moment in their business life cycle. So like maybe they're in expansion mode or they're in that conquest stage. Is that a fair assumption or businesses coming to you in all different stages? And I'm probably wrong on that. Mm, it's, it's a fair assumption <clears throat> depending on the size of the business, right? So especially for, for larger companies, uh, companies that are post money um, or even, you know, post IPO, you know, as you say, they're conquesting. They're going, you know, what's, what's the next barrier? What's, what's the next thing that we can vanquish? Uh, and, and in those cases, 
you know, it's um, we're looking at how can we adapt the things that have worked for them in English or in the United States to to local markets or to Spanish speakers in the U.S. Uh, however, we do have some companies uh, that that are actually Spanish first. So, for example, we have a, a client who's a challenger bank, uh, and their their target is going to be only Spanish speakers. They're only going to go after Spanish speakers in the United States. And so, in those cases, it's uh, it's less about adapting what already exists and more about building something new. Uh, they both present unique challenges. They're both lots of fun. Yeah, I can imagine. So. So let me let me let me indulge me a little bit more on, on this uh, setup stuff. So, if you're thinking about, I'm thinking about a Spanish-speaking audience. We have even in our, our we work with mostly small businesses, but even our small business clients need a Spanish version of their website in the U.S. So they'll have uh, they'll have a need for a service like this. Then you have a project like maybe you're setting up a Spanish language site for all the people in Colombia, right? So like uh, same brand but in a whole country. It seems like those are very different projects. You know, how how do you approach those? Do you do both of those things, and uh, how wildly different is that challenge? Okay, so we start from the same place when we're thinking about this. Mm-hmm. Um, what we found over the years is that the most important uh, action item that we have on our plate when we begin an engagement is building a style guide. So. <clears throat> To give you a little more uh, info, like most of the projects that we work on deal with content in some way, whether it's the translation of content or creating uh, new content for for uh, for Spanish speakers. Right? What we okay. what we start with is a guiding document that we call a style guide, and what this does is we talk about forms of address because in Spanish there's formal and there's informal, there's passive, there's active, and you know there's terminology too, right? Like you know you could say we prefer auto over coche. For example, in the case of an, yeah. an like a lender or something like that, right? So it's it's about word choice, it's about context, it's about building a, a brief for that client. This is a living document; it exists both in English and in Spanish, so that our team updates it in real time and the client can see it in real time as well. And and so this this sort of becomes like you know the the north the north star for for our project. It doesn't really focus on KPIs, but more on the ideal customer and who we're talking to, who we want to be in that market. So for Project Columbia, for example, well, we'd be thinking about Colombian pronouns and different forms of address in Colombia. We'd be thinking about individual context and word choice. And the same thing would happen if we were doing a project in the United States. You know, uh, a business that operates in the outskirts of Chicago is probably going to be mostly have customers that are of Mexican descent. And so they're going to be comfortable with Mexican Spanish. But if you're in New York, they might be Dominican or Puerto Rican. Uh, if you're in Miami, you might have more Colombian, El Salvador, Venezuela. And so you have to adapt the content to those contexts. Uh, you're never going to make everybody happy, right? But, but our goal is always to you know, try and take care of as many of the potential users as possible. So this is fascinating. So like you have, you just kind of went over it, all these different colloquial, colloquialisms that exist in different Spanish language parts. Like I can think of this as an American. It's like even in different states in this country, we'll call soda or pop something different, right? So it's totally, it's, it's totally, uh, and I think when now we're talking about Google, right? So we're talking about trying to rank web pages or try and get things better. So determining synonyms um, and user intent, Google's getting better at that. But I still feel like if you're using like, vendor versus supplier correctly that can give you a competitive advantage in in google um it kind of walk kind of walk me through how how you approach these uh sure. 
these colloquialisms so, and, and how you execute. So, so I'm, I'm sorry. I, I know I was almost interrupting because I'm excited about answering the question. The, <laughs> so, so the, the, the first thing is, is that the idea that there is a neutral Spanish that is, you know, universal is it's not possible, right? In the same way, the, 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 the comparison I make, much like you did, you know, for a soda or pop, is thinking about the United States or thinking about English speakers in the world, right? You know, there are times when I have, I have friends who are British and I talk to them and they'll say a full sentence and I'll understand maybe 20% of it, right? Because they're using <laughs> words that are unique to them. And it's, it's the same thing in Latin America, right? So, um, you know, you have Mexican Spanish, you have uh, Central American Spanish, and even there, there's going to be, you know, further definitions. Actually, one of the things I'll point you to is an infographic that we built that's uh, it's just uh, forms of address, to versus usted, and how it's used in different places. Um, but the, so the, the, there's one aspect of it, which is the keyword research and the intent, right? And then the other aspect of it is how does Google organize and rank these sites in Spanish yeah. as opposed to how it would do it in English, right? So in English, it's gotten really, really good at understanding the intent of the query, right? Maybe yeah. we don't always like the results, but, you know, if you look for a car dealership near me, you're going to get that map pack, right? Bang. Mm -hmm. And it's going to show you all the dealerships that are near you, you know, uh, whether it's pay to play or organic, but you're, you're going to see all of that there. Right. Well, the issue is, is that uh, in Spanish, you're dealing with 32 different countries, right? And, and almost as many variations of that. So Google, in many cases, is really good at parsing like localities, right? Especially like the near me kind of stuff. They're going to be much better at those sorts of queries. But anytime you get into things that are a little bit more universal, <clears throat> so for example, car parts, right? If you're trying yeah, to find sure. a specific car part, you might have a lot of trouble because the sites that are ranking for you in the United States might be from Spain or Venezuela or Colombia. Going to be kind of tough to get, you know, a muffler for a Honda CRV uh, if that thing is, you know, in another continent. Um, so we, we see them parsing and improving their, their reviews, but, but there is actually a competitive advantage. Uh, it, it, even now, you know, 10 years later, it feels like the people who are in our space are like first movers, right? There's, there's less competition. Yes, there's less search as well, but, but there's, there's more room to play on the edges uh, than, than, than what you get to do on a day-to-day -day basis. I see, I see. All right, so let me let me back up a little bit. So it's, this seems like an unbelievable challenge, and I I, I want to ask you about the style guides, and I'm going to get to that in a moment. But how do you hire anybody? Like you you have to have people who could uh, who could work with all these different cultural nuances and everything like that. So they need to know SEO, which is hard enough. There isn't a huge population of people who know SEO well enough, but then they also need to know language and how to you know, adapt these, these challenges. So like Colombia is different than Mexico is different than Chile or something like that. Tell me about your team and how you have approached building out the team who can, who can handle these sort of language challenges as well as the SEO challenges. Well, so the first part and you said it is language, right? Um, so we mostly hire people who it's their first or second job. And okay. we've done this basically the whole time that, that we've been in business. Um, and this is because, well, first of all, you know, years ago, it was much more difficult to find people who had any knowledge of SEO. So we found that it was easier to train people. And I think that's still the case today in the sense that um, the opportunity cost 
is much higher on getting someone who, who knows or think they know everything about SEO, right? And when we hire people who are younger, then we get to teach them our way of doing things, which is very, very focused on, on basically creating the best content assets for our, for our clients that we can. Uh, we feel that if we build you know, incredible content, then people will link to it. And uh, you know, the evidence has borne that out. Uh, so our focus is we're looking for people who are really good writers um, and who can organize their thoughts, right? The most important thing is not necessarily the vocabulary, but it's like, can they express themselves in an organized fashion that allows you to understand what they're trying to say? And if, if they can express themselves that way, then we feel like we can teach them the other parts of it. Now, language skills are important. We absolutely, every member of our staff is bilingual, but not everybody okay. arrives that way. Right? So some people come in and they're like, well, I have the, the funniest thing on a, on a resume is when you see, you know, English 75%. You're like, what does that mean? <laughs> okay. right? Right, right. Um, but, but we have a really robust training program around language skills as well. So that anybody who comes in is going to have the opportunity to work on accounts. And when they're not working on accounts, they have the, the, the opportunity to, to skill up and scale up. And so, uh, the joke I've been making recently is that we are a marketing training organization that also services clients. <laughs> I love this. Yeah, it's very, very interesting, your approach. I'm glad I asked that. So I want to go back. I'm, I'm intrigued yeah. by this idea of style guides. It's something I hear all the time in design shops, right? Like they always need a style yeah. guide. to. Do That's where I stole it. Okay, perfect. And so I, it seems to me like the message is prepare, slow down, don't rush. You rush these onboarding procedures, the style guide, and the communication in the very early days, you could set yourself up for disaster. You know, I'm well, the sort of person who I, I, le I learned from putting my, I learned that the stove is hot by putting my hand on it a little bit. What, what have you learned from projects that have gone wrong to, to teach you about this? Well, so, so you, you called it out right away, right? It's, it's not bringing someone in soon enough. Uh, yeah. There are clients who bring us in before they have a Spanish language website, and these are my favorites, right? When they bring us in beforehand, even if we're not going to get paid by them right away, which is fine, what we're trying to do is we're trying to set them up for success, make sure that their website structure is solid, make sure that they've taken care of all of the queries that are they're in hand, make sure that the translations are actually of a high quality because a lot of people will just go on Upwork and hire somebody, won't have anybody edit it. Um, or they'll say, well, the girl at the counter speaks Spanish, she can do it, right? Um, <laughs> You know, instead of having markers come in, because uh, you know when you're translating, you're also you're trying to build like persuasive copy, right? It's it's copywriting as well, um, and um, so so I think I think that's that's like the biggest mistake is is not bringing someone in soon enough uh, for keyword research, for planning, and and for the rest. Uh, the other one would be uh, depending on automatic or machine translations, which is something that we uh, we bet. still see quite a bit. Yep. Especially with car dealers, actually, uh, the, where, you know, they're, they're like, you know what? We need some marketing. We need some, we need some social media, but, but the translations are done. We put in the Chrome extension and uh, we're good to go. And yeah. uh, it's, well, there's the other part of that conversation, which is, um, yeah, no. I, 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 I can totally understand this. So the other thing you made a distinction, and I, I looked at some of your conference presentations. You want to make a distinction between translator and transcreation, if I have that, if I have that framed yeah. right. Do you yeah. think this is fascinating? Kind of uh, walk our audience through, what's the di distinction between those two things? So 
I mean, the, the first thing, one, is, is, is that it's a positioning thing, right? Uh, and and, that, and that's helpful uh, because what we're doing is we're, we're trying to distinguish. And, and it, is, it is because we're trying to lead people down the path towards copywriting. Uh, a translation, the way I understand it, is, is usually a one-to-one, -one, right? So, you know, yeah. red is rojo, right? There's, there's less context around it. There's less understanding around, you know, like right. w what, what it's going to be in the place where you're going rather than where you came from. And so with transcreation, what we're trying to do is we're trying to take the spirit of the thing. So, you know, if, if you're talking, for example, about a lending platform, in the United States, APY is very easy to understand. You know, people understand most of the terms of, of engagement for these things. But because a lot of these, you know, financial products are new in Latin America, they require more explanation. They require more context. They require holding people by the hand so that they understand what they're getting involved in or, or just so that they understand the, the product itself. So... That's why we also, you know, like you, you'll find that our landing pages are probably going to be longer than they would be in English, right? Because we're, we're trying to provide as much information around uh, the product as necessary so that people can really understand it. Because that, at, the, at the end of the day, I think that's something that we all have to keep sight of is, is we're trying to be helpful, right? Like that's, right. that's like the main goal is we're, we're trying to get right. you where you want to go. Yeah. I love this. So I have, I have, a couple of other things that I want to ask you about. It, we, we've kind of talked about big picture, high level stuff, but I want to ask you some just real down to earth, tactical, sure. actionable questions. So we still need to move the, the needle with search engines, right? We can't just uh, uh, write and ponder all day. We, I'm wondering, you know, something like uh, link building seems like you could have a totally different approach than I do. Like if, I, if I'm trying to do link building for a car dealer here in the States, I'm going to use certain tactics that might not apply to you. How, do you do you think about link building in the same way that you, you would imagine somebody in, in the United States would, or is it a different approach? Well, <clears throat> I haven't gotten to say this yet, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and know. It depends, Mark. <laughs> Thank you. Right, right. <laughs> no, the... Uh, Look, so, so there, there are parts of it that are, that are the same, right? Uh, especially when you're talking about linkable assets. In fact, I think that there's like even more of an opportunity in Spanish because so, so in English, you put out a content piece, right? You're, you're like, oh man, we're going to build like the ultimate guide to buying a car in Tucson, right? Here are all the things you have to have in mind. Here are all the laws. You know, here's, here's you know, the, what you need in order to have a license. Here's, here's, you know, the payments you need to make in order to renew your you know, your title, your car, et cetera, et cetera, like all the things that you need to do. And you're going to put that out. And sometimes you'll put it out and just be crickets. Why? Because Tucson has one, but so does Scottsdale. So does Phoenix. So does, right? Like all of this content already exists right, right. and people are just fighting for space in the SERP. In Spanish, what we found is that there's just, there's less data in general. There's less information that is on the web. Um, and, and governments and, and educational environments treat the internet differently. So, for example, you know, a .gov, uh, a .gov link is, is a lovely thing, right? As, as SEOs, we get excited right. about that. Well, here, um, there's like when a city government leaves government, sometimes they'll just leave their site abandoned, right? They'll, they're just like, okay, we're done here. We're out. Bye. Wow. Um, so, so there are opportunities for expired domains there or purchasing uh, those domains and redirecting them. But also, you're not going to be super successful with your outreach, right? Like you're going to send something to – like there yes. might be nobody listening because right? they're just not even paying attention to that site anymore. Ready and lower, uh, right. Yeah. right. 
So, so what we found is, is that executing the blocking and tackling of great content and then promoting it uh, via paid and quite, quite frankly, a lot of times uh, via like paid Facebook advertising and targeting journalists, targeting influencers in the space uh, has been, has been uh, a tactic that, that has been really successful for us. Um, as far as like conventional blocking and tackling, uh, link uh, like you know, link building, yes, we absolutely do that, right? And 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 you have to, but there, but yeah, there's the other part is um, outreach is more involved. I've seen some of the most successful outreach templates uh, from from companies in the states and in England, and it's like three lines, right? It's like, hey, mate, check out this thing I made, you know, like, and that's it. Whereas in Mexico. You, you, you're like, hello, kind sir. Allow me to introduce myself. I am the representative of this thing. We have built yeah. the thing we would love. You know, like it's, it's a whole process to, to get people involved. Um, so, so, yeah, th those are some of the differences in, in link building. I love it. What, you know, one other tag that you mentioned, copywriting and the need to create a lot of content. I just am sitting here thinking, and I'm going, oh, these guys, you guys must hate, like, idioms and cliches because the cliche could be totally different in this part of Latin America versus this Latin part of Latin America. Are you using those sorts of cliche type language, idioms, common conventions of, of language here in the United States sparingly for a reason? Depends on the targeting, right? Um, okay. So mostly I'd say about 80% of our projects are B2B, right? Okay. Which makes this easier. Because then we don't have to worry as much about the idioms. We're talking to people who, who are already interested in, in a solution you know, that, that has some context. Um, right. but, but it is something that, that we absolutely keep an eye on, and it's something that we get edited. So currently, all of our writers are in-house. Everyone works for Altura, and they're all in Mexico. But as you say, if we get a project for Colombia or for Argentina or for Chile, you know, or, or if one of our projects has elements in one of these countries... Then, then we've also built uh, a web of, of uh, freelancers and people who we can depend on so we can send them something and be like, hey, take a look at this document, you know, make, make your contextual changes, give us your feedback. And sometimes it'll just be like, yep, that's all great. And sometimes it'll be like, yeah, you know, this thing you said doesn't work. Right? That's how they say, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but I think the most important thing here, just, just like in anything we do is process, Right. If, if we cover all our bases and we do all the reviews that are necessary and we've done our research and we have our sources and we've cited everything, then at the end of the day, the deliverable is going to be all right. Um, right. Uh, you can't half-ass it, right? You got a whole asset. <laughs> no, I, I love it. I, I was just thinking about this. Like if, uh, I know what blocking and tackling is. I'm here in the United States. If you try and talk about blocking and tackling in Latin America, they might not know what, a, what blocking and tackling is. So it it's funny. Came to my mind. I use that on occasion with my team, and mostly I get blank stares. But at this point, most of them know what I'm talking about. <laughs> got it, got it, got it. So, all right. So this is, uh, this is everyone's favorite part of the show. This is where Greg Gifford gives me a couple of questions with no context. So it's usually like, two or three words, and uh, I know nothing more than you. So it's kind of a high wire act for both of us, if you, if you understand. So Awesome. Um, I'm into it. For, for Zef Snap, he has MozCon pre-party. Does this ring a bell to you at all? Absolutely. So um, I got into SEO in like 2010, okay. and um, at this point, Moz was the conference to go to. 
It was it was where everybody went. It was you know, and so I went in two thousand. I think two thousand eleven was my first year, and I remember going to the conference and being new, and even though I'd done a lot of prep work, and we can talk about that another time too, but I, I felt I felt really alone. You know, even though I like I kind of knew some people, I'd, I'd seen them on Twitter. You know, we shook hands, but but I remember just feeling kind of out of it and seeing people go off to their dinners together or their parties and, and me just being like, like, Oh man, like what's going on here? Um, right. well I was fortunate enough to make friends with a few really cool people at that first MozCon. Uh, one of whom is Kane Jameson who runs content harmony. It's a great, uh, yeah. content brief software. Friend of the show. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he and I, um, I, I'm, I'm a really social person. I like to talk to people and you know, I, I love talking to smart people. Right. So, uh, we had the idea, oh, I had the idea and he helped me execute it that, that we would do a pre-party so that everybody, as they flew into MozCon on, you know, Sunday or Monday or whatever would, would have a place to come and meet people. And so we did it at the tap house and it was that year. I can't remember if it was 12 or 13, the first year that we did it was an amazing thing because there were so many people were coming up at that time together and they were all meeting each other in the room. Right. So like I met Greg there for the first time, but, but, you know, uh, I also met Nick Eubanks there, uh, for the first yeah. time and, you know, and, uh, Jeff Kenyon and a bunch of other people. It was basically, it became a mutual, mutual appreciation society, right? Like everybody's in this room looking at each other like, oh my gosh, you're so smart. And they'd be like, no, 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 you're so smart. No, no, no. You know, like, and, uh, and it became a tradition. And so, you know, for the next three, four years, every year we would, we would do an unofficial, uh, party the, the night before. And, and it was, it was a really, really uh, great thing. I've actually been, you know, since quarantine, I've been reflecting on that period of my life and, uh, I'm so grateful that I, that I got to spend that time with everybody and, and to meet, to meet all of these incredible, intelligent, passionate people uh, who now have scattered, you know, right? Like, uh, yeah. Moz doesn't have the influence that it, that it had then, but, uh, yeah. but I like to think that those bonds will never be broken. I love that. Well, he has, he has one more question and then there, there's, I, I left this out, but he also said there are many other no context questions he has for you, but they are not appropriate for on air. And so I, I, I'm only sticking with what is, is you know, like this is a PG 13 ish show. So I guess that's about sure. it. Uh, he has one more, which is that you may have kidnapped Roger Mazbot. Does this sound familiar to you at all? Uh, yeah. So again, this is a Mozcon story. Um, and basically there, there are these plushy Roger robots and everybody got one. And, um, so, you know, Greg, who loves all of the swag, uh, you know, had like put his aside because he's going to give it to his kid. And I thought it would be really funny to just put it underneath the table. And he spent like the better part of a day, like tweeting at Moz and like running around trying to like get, get a, get another plushie. Uh, only to find, you know, like with 10 minutes left in the day that I was like, oh, here you go, buddy. Here's your plushie. And what's funny is I actually ended up with an extra one of those. I don't know how, but I have two uh, plushie Roger Mossbots. Um, well, I, one I, other I, thing I, before you, before you, uh, go, yeah. go off here, I want to tell, I want to tell a great Gifford story. Please. So, uh, in 2013, I was, I was, like I said, we'd, we'd done this and, 
Uh, Dana DiTomaso had just finished speaking, and she invited me to go out to dinner with her and a few friends. One of those friends was Greg Gifford. He and I had never yeah. met. We'd, we'd sort of talked to each other, and we were just walking down the street, you know, talking. He was really interested in what I was doing and, and you know, and building Altura, and, and uh, you know, we were, just, we were just jamming out, talking about this stuff. And, and he said, hey, you know, like, what about speaking? Is that something that you've done before? And I was like, no, but I really want to. You know, I'm supposed to speak at Search Fest, which is a, a festival in Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, well, pff, you don't have to wait for that. That's like next year. Uh, you know, State of Search is in November. Do you want to just come speak at that? Wow. And I was like, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so Greg Gifford gave me my first chance at, a, at speaking at an SEO conference. And, and that led to Search Fest, which led to uh, speaking at MozCon, which led to speaking at Content Marketing World, which led to a ton of other opportunities in my career. So I, I just want to express my gratitude to Greg uh, for, for, uh, for, for always reaching out to new people and, and giving people a chance, which I think is, you know, especially where we are as a culture, where, you know, we're trying to make sure that everybody is included here. I just want to point out that, that, that Greg, you know, yes, I'm a middle-aged white man, but, but I'm not the only person he gave opportunities to. Um, and, and I'm very appreciative of, of everything that, that he has done. You're very lucky to have him, Mark. I, I couldn't agree more. So I, I will pass that message along. And this is one of the most, the nicest wrap ups to the show we've ever had. So Zev, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a virtual cheers for now. And, and thank you for coming out. You really, you know, really, you, you broadened my horizons for what we can do with SEO and what, what sorts of challenges we can take on. So thanks for coming on and I'm looking forward to seeing you maybe at a conference in the near future. It was my pleasure, Mark. I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks again. Take care. All right. Take care.